to the Bank Talk Podcast, the show where we talk to leaders and experts from the community banking sector. Whether you are a current CEO or aspire to be one, this podcast will give you valuable insights and advice on how to run your financial institution better. Each episode features a different topic and a guest who shares their experience and knowledge with us. Tune in and learn something new with Bank Talk Podcast. Hi, and welcome to Bank Talk. I'm Charlie Kelly, your host and partner at Remedy Consulting. Today, we're talking about lending into receivables. And the reason this one came up is as we survey the customers of Remedy Consulting and go out there and talk to CEOs, a couple of the top topics always seem to be, specifically these days, you know, how do you get to a place where you have more non-interest income? And, you know, the other one, of course, is the liquidity, you know, figure out a way to improve my liquidity. So I think that this conversation checks a couple of those boxes. Today we have with us Eric Trumpower from Capstone Bank. Yeah, Eric is going to kind of walk us through the way they think about this stuff. So without further ado, let's get to Bank Talk. Okay, welcome back to Bank Talk. today. I have with me Eric Trumpower. Eric is EVP of Bank Partnerships at Capstone Bank Tech. Eric, thanks for joining us. Charlie, happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So, Eric, I prepped this by saying, you know, we're going to talk about receivables management, receivables financing. And I'm pretty sure that some of our listeners may not understand what that space is. So, you know, without too much of an elevator pitch, would you mind just kind of giving me an understanding of what this receivables management world looks like and you know maybe a little bit about how capstone plays in there absolutely so when you mentioned receivables to community bankers one of those things where most of them are very very much in tune with real estate financing and equipment financing and what we do with our partners is that we allow these community banks to lend on their ar better protect themselves and really ask them to do what they're doing now right they're underwriting loans they're evaluating loans and pricing loans and they're booking loans. We're just giving them another way to distribute working capital, monitor these lines, you know, take the receivables as collateral, generate the data and the risk monitoring from it, but also protect themselves with any other collateral they need. So it's half of my time is, is educating and talking with these bankers on saying, hey, we're, we're just wanting you to do what you do now. Let us help you on lending on the AR, better protecting yourself, earning higher returns with the fee income, generating deposits. And there's a plethora of ways where we can really help these banks in, in understanding the benefit both to them as well as their small businesses. So tell me, what is the ultimate kind of a customer for this? In other words, what type of customer would the bank, and by a customer, I mean customer of the bank, right? Yep. What type of a customer of the bank is really just right in the wheelhouse for receivables management. Like if I would say, pick your customer out of all of the businesses out there, which one fits best into this type of a scenario? Charlie, really, it's it can be any type of industry. I mean, there's a plethora of industries where this fits well. And it's really on, are they waiting more than 45 days plus to gain access to their working capital, to gain access to their cash? So many times we run across customers within the bank that they're lending on the real estate. 
They're lending on the equipment. And the customers going outside for financing, doing our financing out of their local community because their local banks aren't set up to do that. So those particular customers were able to bring them into the bank, capitalize on some of the higher yielding loans. And nine out of 10 times, these customers are going to want to do business with their local community bank over sending that money outside the region. So it's really that slow sales cycle. I just got off the phone with a bank in Louisiana. They have a customer getting paid out of Houston. That customer is paying that customer in 90 days. It's crunching that working capital. They're unable to pay their suppliers. They're unable to make payroll. They're throwing money literally at the teller machine on payday because they, they're panicking that they'd be able to make the working capital and make payroll. So these are solid A credit customers, some of the most positive you know, A plus customers in the bank. They just need additional working capital to help fuel their business. And we go out there and help them find those particular customers and work with the bankers to identify to make sure that they can cost justify and it, and it be a, a win-win for both parties. And could I, if I were to ask you, you know, is, you know, when you talk about receivables, fine, what, what is the sweet spot for size of loan? I mean, are we talking about keeping a, a new line up? Because I think if I understood what you just said, you said most banks are probably are going to have some type of a real estate loan, possibly an equipment loan with these customers already. They just get a little nervous when it starts getting into the receivable side. Are we talking about 100,000? Are we talking about 10,000? Are we talking about a million or a bigger number? I mean, what what's sort of the sweet spot or how do you think about the business's needs, I guess, right? Your customer's needs when you think about this receivables piece? Well, when banks look at receivables, sometimes they scratch their heads because they, but what they don't realize is whether they like to admit it or not, every loan they do is dependent on that receivable, right? So they're dependent on their customer's customer to pay them. And then when their customer decides after making the house payment or the boat payment, whatever it may be, they're in control of that payment to the bank. What we like to explain to our banks is by controlling that receivable, the bank is getting paid first. So these lines self-liquidate. So if you're lending on a 45-day receivable, that payment is coming directly to the bank and paying itself down. When you talk about size, I'd say our, you know, a sweet spot's four to five hundred thousand, but we set our lines a little bit differently than you would on a traditional line. And sometimes we run into to boards that get a little nervous when we talk about these line size. I was in uh, North Dakota this week and we were talking about a current customer. They had maxed out their three hundred thousand dollar line. They were sitting on $500,000 in AR, but they were coming back to the bank saying, we need more. We need more. Bank gives them more. They term out a piece. And it's a continual cycle of just increasing the liability. And the bank doesn't feel comfortable like that. So what we do is we would, in that scenario, look at, okay, they have 500 outstanding. The bank's got a $300,000 line. We normally set things. What do they have outstanding? What do they sell in a monthly basis? And that's the line amount. In that particular case, we would take that 500000 pay off the bank's 300000 less the discount fee and the reserve account, and then put them in a position to only be able to access the line amount that they have on AR. They just can't call up and say, hey, Charlie, I'd like to pull down five hundred k off the line. There's got to be the collateral. We've got to see the data on the collateral. So it's normally set on what's outstanding. And what do they have on a monthly basis, which tends to create a larger line in essence. But again, it's it doesn't perform like a traditional line of credit. Okay, that's helpful. And and there's a lockbox and all those types of things tied to this, right? So it's outside the customer's control 
to take in the payment if that's the way you set it up. Do I do I have that right? You do. We you know we mitigate the risk on the receivable financing side. So you know the first and most important piece is that lockbox, right? That okay. is non-negotiable when we're signing these businesses up. That payment, unlike a traditional line, is coming to the bank, not to the customer. And that's paying down that receivable. We set up a reserve account. So when we open these businesses up, the benefits of the bank are tremendous. They're opening an operating account and a reserve account. And that's generating fee income as well as deposits. So I'll take a $100 receivable coming into the bank. We'll use a 2% discount rate as an example. is going to go into the fee bucket. $10 is going to go into the reserve account. And the business is going to get $88 to go out and operating on, do what they need to do with that money. That reserve account builds up over time because we're taking a portion of it. And that's being held by the bank until payments are seen that have come in. And then it's released at the end of the month. So there's, you know, there's multiple risk mitigation pieces with the lockbox, with the reserve account. We also do a soft verification. We're able to really control that repayment, control both the size and kind of the the way the the, the receivable works and, and have that information. I always like to say you're in that business's kitchen. We are connected to that QuickBooks. When you give someone a normal line of credit, you know, three months into it, after you've seen the financials and they lose their biggest customer, they're not coming back to you, Charlie, and saying, hey, I lost my biggest customer. You're finding that out nine months later. When it's too late, you've got an evergreen line. With our particular situation, since we're tracking the receivable, we're going to notify the bank at month three when we see that significant drop in AR and let the bank know, hey, something's going on with the business. So I really feel like you've got more data, more ability and uh, uh, to be able to pull levers, increase medic- risk mitigation, and take action than when you were just on a traditional line of credit. And oh, by the way, you, you still have that additional collateral if that's something important to the bank. That's all depending on some lend on just the receivables. Some will look at other, you know, collateral to better protect themselves. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a real interesting concept of I, you really have more insight into the bank than you would ever have as a loan officer that, you know, visits them once every six months, right? To do a credit review on them or any other type of risk assessment on them. Um, you, you you've do. actually got some understanding of what their financials are because <laughs> you got your hands on them. Well, and another point on that is we provide a monthly risk monitoring which is of huge value to our bank. So every month they're getting an email. I'll give you an example. You know, Mansfield Trucking, uh, one of their customers we we see is not using a lockbox. We're going to highlight that. We're going to suggest to the bank that someone makes a call to see, you know, what's going on. We need to make that change. So you don't have that kind of data when you look in at lines of credit. We provide all other types of, of risk mitigation data uh, based on the performance of that AR We've had banks sign up with us and, and, and want to come onto this program because they don't sleep well at night. They know they're lending on re- receivables, whether they like it or not. They've got the real estate. They're doing other types of loans. They have no idea what's going on with the AR. If you're going to lend, why not have control of that AR? And just it's really just another vehicle to deliver that that working capital. And and you know again, it's a win win both for the business and the bank if it's if it's the right fit. Okay, great, great. Yeah, and I, I hadn't even considered that. I think when we first started prepping for this i wasn't i wasn't considering the the hey i don't know if you call it risk mitigation or the insight into their business itself that is you know to me that's a value add hey eric i promised the listeners that we would talk about two things and the first one is liquidity 
And you might have answered a part of this already when we were talking about those two accounts, but I want to make sure that it's a little more clear because it wasn't clear when before we prepped this. So you had said to me at some point in the past that, hey, there's a liquidity play here. And you know, you had talked about the operating account and the reserve account. Can you just give a little more detail on that again? You know, which of those would they have would the bank have had access to before? Which would they not have? Where do you think? You know, in a, in a scenario where you've got $100,000 out, but where's the liquidity play? I'll stop there. We'll be right back. You hear a lot about supply chains these days, because if the past couple years have taught us anything, it's that an efficient, well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy. I'm Will Haywood, and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. No, it's a it's a huge topic as we know across the bank landscape right now. You know, there's some there's some hesitant to go after new business and lend on new business. Uh, there's banks out there that you know they want to take care of their current customers, so they you know they're requiring that the deposit relationship be there. They're not looking so much to go out and find new business because that doesn't always equate to deposits. Now, it's not a one for one funding of of the loan, but it's it's a pretty hefty amount and, and significant. And the way we build up those deposits, um, normally 30 to 50% in compensating deposits is, is to my earlier point. If it's a current customer, they have an operating account already. And it's and if it's a current credit, they just may be a better fit for this type of loan than the loan they're on now. We're going to set up a second account for them. It's that reserve account. And for every invoice that's coming through the system, we're holding 10, sometimes 15%. This is the bank's program. They can determine what kind of reserve account uh, amount that they want to hold. That is not released till the end of the month once we see a report on all the payments that come in. So there are significant deposits being built out. Some company or some businesses like trunking companies, a lot of times, let that ride, let it build up. There's times where the bank can choose to hold on to that reserve account because they see significant invoices coming down the 30, 60, 90 day buckets. And we guide them on when to release that or when not. It is the customer's money, but the bank puts a hold on it to better protect itself for any receivables that may go out a while. So banks that are looking to increase deposits and put money on the street, banks that are looking to generate fee income. We're talking north of 100K in fee income for every million outstanding. This type of lending can really be impactful um, especially for some of the smaller community banks when you're when you're talking about those numbers. And it doesn't take a lot of these businesses to do that. You put three to five businesses on that do- does fit well, you're building deposits, generating fee income, and you're in a better position and the customer's thrilled. They have access to cash to be able to go do what they do. Yeah. And you answered part of the second uh, question. So if I promised them liquidity, I think you answered that very well. Um, I also promised to talk about non-interest income that might be related to this. If I think about taking a half a million dollars and you know lending it into vehicles or personal loans or whatever, right? Let's use vehicles, right? I decided to said to make car loans worth five hundred thousand dollars. How how would you say this piece compares to what return the bank might be seeing on a portfolio 
of auto loans? And and that might be a terrible question. No, not at all. Not at all. I'm gonna take a I'm gonna take a bold stance and say if done right, and of course we want to do it right, if we're mitigating the risk and putting the the type of credits we have on here, this will be the most profitable uh, portion of their bank. So you can compare it to car loans, you know, to make it a little simpler, compare it to traditional lines of credit. You're looking at double the amount of return on a line of credit. You're generating deposits, as we talk about, that that fee income is significant to some of these banks. And, you know, we like to say, not only are you becoming more profitable, you have more control, more insight into that small business. So these lenders that are compensated by what's outstanding or fee income deposits, they love once they grasp hold of what we are doing with them. Their ability to double their fee income or double their their returns, you know, makes a big difference within the bank. And again, it's also helping small businesses in their community. How is this industry changing? And and by that I mean this. Um, one point I had talked to somebody that was in equipment leasing, right? And because of you know because of the dynamics of the industry, that industry was actually declining a little bit. How do you see it in on the receivables management side? Is there anything going on, you know, sort of industry wide that that we should be talking about? Well, from an industry standpoint, I think, you know, during COVID and, and a lot of the lending being focused on PPP, there was there was a lot of distraction, a lot, not a lot of need for working capital. We are coming out of that. We're well out of that. And, and we're seeing businesses that need the availability of working capital. And they, they need some type of help within their community. And the community bank is the first place they look. But a lot of times these community banks, look, they don't, they don't have the resources, right? And we talk about you know, starting a receivable financing in the community bank. What would that entail? That's a chunk of change to put out there, right? You're you're hiring the expertise. You're having to bring in the analysis people. You're having to have dedicated lenders. And and what a, what a company like ours does um, is is the ability to put your foot in the water on a revenue share and get out there and get into this business. And have all the expertise, the manpower, the people that know this business to assist them. So I think industry-wise, banks are looking to diversify out of real estate. They're looking to dive into some CNI lending. We're not saying we're the only CNI solution, but we give these banks a solution to be able to go and talk to customers about. One thing I wanted to bring up, if it's all right, Charlie, is the uh, the F word, or should we say the bad word, uh, factoring, right? Do you mind if I touch on that a little bit? Because no, I, I no, guarantee this is running through their minds. Yeah, and, and maybe rather- again, you know, maybe maybe from a factoring perspective, you can help us differentiate between maybe the differences and similarities, et cetera. How, how do people think about that these days? Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest difference is that we are underwriting the small business, the bank is, right? They're looking at mom and pop and looking at it as they would a traditional line of credit. These are credit worthy customers that just have an accelerated need for working capital. They do like the Walmart receipt or they do like the big energy receipt. Well, that's a big component. The factoring companies are flipping that, right? They could care less what mom and pop's doing. They're just happy to control price very significantly what that receivable is going to cost, take on that risk. And we're not telling our banks to do that. You know, by definition, we are lending and purchasing of the receivable, but that's about where it ends. We're less intrusive and less expensive. What we're allowing the community banks is to use some of the factoring tools, the lockbox, the payment, the, the repayment source, you know, some of the verification pieces, the tracking, right? We're, we're bringing some of those tools to the community banks and allowing them to compete against the larger banks 
or the factoring companies that are taking some of their bad credits and really, you know, creating huge, big differences in prices. They're paying a lot more than they should be paying where the community bank could bring them in, still make significant income and better, you know, have a customer that they're able to provide that working capital for. So, you know, factoring in parts of the world, as in West Texas, New Mexico, in the energy play, it is a common name. In other parts of the country, people look at it as lender of last resort credits that they want. This is not what this is. We use some of the terminology, but we're it's got to underwrite at the bank. It's got to be, you know, pass the sniff test from a credit standpoint. But we're just using some of the the tools from the factoring world and keeping those great credits with good returns in the local market for the community bank because they don't have the resources to be able to do, you know, the tracking and the expertise and so forth. Okay. Then last question. Just to make sure we didn't do a podcast that was all, you know, rainbows and unicorns. Um, <laughs> right? What yeah. when when a banker comes, you know, you you approach a banker and they don't want any part of this. It all sounds so nice, right? Where's the holdback? It's really education, right? I, I think I mentioned early on, a lot of these banks is they're dirt lenders. That's all they've done. They're comfortable with real estate. It's easy to do. It's been a good run. When you talk about receivable financing, some may think it's a quote unquote, a little more risky. However, I go back to my point I made earlier, every loan you do is dependent on that AR. Why don't you have control of it? And you can still take on the collateral piece. So it, it truly is just educating the lenders on you're using this as a vehicle to get working capital out, getting more insight into the business. And you know that other collateral that you like to do, keep on doing it, keep underwriting loans. But what we're allowing you to do is to be able to lend on the AR for your better customers um, and have more insight into that business. Because you're right, it's you know 90% of our banks are, are real estate and 90% of our time is, is talking to the banks on you know how this makes sense, why it's a good thing, not to be scared of it, just you got to protect yourself and you got to have a team, a plan, a group that can help support you if you don't have that expertise. And that's that's what we bring to our banks. Yeah, I would imagine, you know, just being scared of this uh, segment as well as probably the administration of, you know, how do I administer a, a program like this? So that seems to me like it would be the biggest kickback you might hear. Well, and I didn't touch on that. We have a, a tremendous operating Right, they uh, are the person that runs our operating area has been in this business over twenty plus years. So we've got a lot of experience. All of us have a lot of our, our founders have a lot of experience in this as well. So the operating piece, yes, we're we're supporting both the business from an operational standpoint, implementation, any questions that come, as well as the bank walking them through everything that needs to get done at the bank. Right, the banks still got to we still got to generate tickets, post those to the accounts, move the money. They do that already in their current loans, right? They're already doing that on their loans. We're just showing them how to do it um, in a different way. And we guide them, literally handhold them through that process, both on the business side and the bank side. So we are bringing the operational support for them. Well, Eric, thank you. I appreciate you walking us through this. It's um, to me, like we were speaking about, I think that when I talk to a a CEO, I always hear liquidity. I always hear non-interest income. That's always always a topic. And you know, what I would probably say is you may or may not like what you have to do to get more of either one of those. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, Outside their there's, there's always Outside going to be a group of people that don't have the risk profile or don't have the stomach for being in some of these, some areas that are on the periphery. But 
I would call this one. And and honestly, you know, it sounds like you've got some things that you guys are working to to patch up some of those holes to allow them to get into it without you know as much risk or at least at least understanding what they're getting into and and managing some of the administration for them. Absolutely. I mean, we're we're very confident in our abilities to help protect the bank and educate the bank and, and get them on board. And and really, you know, ultimately it's their credit decision and how they deliver that credit. If if they're doing that already in a traditional line, we're a little biased, but we feel like we can better protect that bank with the insights we have. And um, it's just a matter of, you know, going through the process, learning, having some experience with it. And having conversation of some of the you know some of the challenges that could be out there, but we we feel very capable in, in helping our banks do that. Okay, excellent. All right, well, thanks for joining me today on Bank Talk, Eric. Charlie, appreciate it. Thank you very much. Okay, well, I wanted to say thanks again to Eric for joining us. When you start talking about liquidity and Anything outside of not, you know, sort of non-interest income and maybe non-interest income is a terrible word. Possibly it is, you know, it is more interest income, depending upon how you think of that. You know, I think this checks a couple boxes and hopefully, regardless of your comfort level, at least this is making you think a little bit more. So that's it for Bank Talk. I'm Charlie Kelly, your host. Have a good day and keep on learning. Thank you for listening to the Bank Talk podcast brought to you by Remedy Consulting. To reach out to Eric Trumpower, go to capstonebanktech.com. Once again, is capstonebanktech.com. And his email will be in the show notes. Thanks again, and we'll see you in the next episode.